Before I read scripture, a couple of things on my heart this morning, and one, of course, is our local and national elections. I want to encourage all of us as Christian citizens to exercise our freedom and our right and privilege to vote. I want to encourage you to do that and obviously to be much in prayer for local and national elections because obviously there's so very much to be dealt with in our nation and we pray also for unity uh, as we go forward post-election. The other thing on my heart this morning is that the first Sunday of November all over the world in Christian churches is acknowledged as a celebration of all saints. Technically, All Saints Day is November 1st, and in a very convoluted way, that's how Halloween become, became such a celebration. But for, uh, for our purposes all over the world today, Christians are remembering those who've gone before us. And I'd like for you, before I lead in prayer, to just think for a moment about those saints in your gallery, in your balcony of encouragement and role models, living and with the Lord, who, for whom you're thankful this morning. Uh, who are those people in the gallery of encouragement that you look to for a role model? And just, you know, sometimes we don't take time to thank God for those who've gone before us and shown us the way. Let's pray together. And I invite you to just take a moment and give thanks for saints who have gone before you. We are thankful, God, for your church on earth and your church in heaven, for those who have lived the enfleshed example uh, as Christ followers to show us the way, to encourage and mentor us, to bless us, to teach us, to love us. Thank you, God, for the rich, rich repository of Christian witness as we think about all of those wonderful saints. And today we pray as a congregation for elections both here locally, statewide, and national, for your will to be accomplished in all things, and for there to be a sense of sacredness about the polling place, that there would be safety and order and an honest reflection of counts. We pray that there would be uh, among us that sense of unity of purpose higher than political partisanship, we pray above all that we will give you thanks for the freedoms that we enjoy, the privilege of voting, uh, to participate in democracy, to, have, to actually have a say-so. And to that end, we also pray today for those all over the world who are being persecuted, for those who are living in denial of their rights, that you might watch over them and in some way, through your grace and power, liberate them. Today, closer to home, God, we also pray for those who are in deep grief, for those who are in deep pain. Sometimes those mysteries can't even find words, but your Holy Spirit can comfort us and speak for us with words too deep uh, for us to understand. And we pray also for those who are seeking spiritual direction this morning that you might bless and show the way. We pray for our armed forces everywhere in the earth, for our mission partners everywhere, for your Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us now from your holy word. We wait in anticipation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read to you this morning from Acts chapter 2. And before I do, I want to show on the screen the five sales or the five uh, major focus areas that we have identified in our setting sail visioning process. And the reason I'm showing you this is because if you'll listen carefully to the Acts 2 scripture this morning, 
Almost all of these are referenced in some fashion or another. Uh, I would say all of them are. God-centered worship. We had a sermon series on that sail, uh, that, that part of the ship that was uh, being driven by the wind of God's Spirit. Life-changing faith. We had a sermon series on that. We're currently finishing this morning the sermon series on authentic relationships. And then we'll take a break until after the holidays. And in January, we'll take up community transformation. And then right before Lent, global partners. And all of those are the areas where we sense God leading us to identify some specific directions and initiatives as we set sail together. Acts chapter 2 Verses 42 through the end of the chapter uh, is our focus this morning as we think about screenshots of crazy grace, authentic relationships, how God works through them. I'm going to read that aloud from Acts 2 beginning in verse 42. Would you stand in honor of God's word if you're able? Pentecost has just happened. Peter has preached. Many have been saved. Luke gives us then this report, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day... As they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, Luke indeed gives us screenshots of crazy grace. A screenshot, of course, is a still image. It is a, 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 a static image or a snapshot of whatever is on your computer screen or your smartphone screen at that particular moment. And Luke takes these, these pictures, these screenshots of this radical hospitality in the early church, of this deep and crazy grace where Everyone's welcome, and all the old barriers are just sort of melting away. And as I read this passage from Acts chapter 2, I think of two particular conversations I had in Ukraine in September on my recent mission trip there. And verse 42 triggered the first memory. As uh, Luke reports, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, I had a conversation one evening over dinner with a young man named Vasil. And Vasil uh, is a church planter, and he started telling me over dinner about his church plant. And he said uh, during the conversation that he'd been praying and asking God to bless their church. And he said an amazing thing happened one time when he was praying. As he was praying, asking God to bless his church, he said the Lord spoke to him and said, you don't have a church yet. All you have is a collection of human beings. And so Vasil was very sharp. He thought about that. He prayed about it. He studied scripture. And you know what he did? He started serving sandwiches. And he started serving coffee. And they started relaxing together. And they started 
getting to know one another, and they started laughing, and they started being family together rather than just coming and all looking forward in one direction. And he said an amazing thing happened. They became church. But as they became church, he said a second amazing thing happened. They started evangelizing in a way they had not evangelized before because people sensed that safe place to be and they were drawn to the fellowship because of the love. Just as in Acts, our passage begins in verse 42 with the people meeting together. And in verse 47, that passage concludes with talking about how the Lord was adding to them daily those who were being saved. The second story uh, is triggered by verse 43. When Luke talks about the awe that came upon everyone as they sensed the wonders that were being performed. So that's that reference to awe, A-W-E. And that made me think of a conversation I had with Sergei. Sergei is here with his wife. Sergei is the student pastor whom this church sponsors with our prayers, with our offerings. You may remember Sergei's story. He was uh, planting a church in eastern Ukraine until the Civil War started in 2014. He was forced to flee with his family. And Sergei told me while I was there in September that for a solid year, he and his family lived in exile. They were refugees. They just went from place to place. But he said all the while, they were ministering to refugees and God was opening doors. And then they finally landed in Lviv. And Sergei is not only a student at the seminary, but he's helping Ulysses plant the church uh, at which I spoke on the Sunday I was there. Sergei, you would think, would have every right to be bitter. Sergei would, uh, I would think, by American standards, have every right to be frustrated and a little put out. But you know what Sergei told me about that year of, of exile? He said it was a fruitful time in his spiritual life. And then he said, it was a fruitful time in my spiritual life because two things took on new meaning in my life. One was the greatness of God, and the other was the family of God. Just like in the book of Acts, awe, the greatness of God, and the family of God. I wonder, I wonder if we have come to church so much that we have forgotten what an amazing privilege it is to be in a Christian fellowship to live in authentic relationships. I wonder if it's so ho-hum and automatic that we have forgotten, because we've never had that privilege taken away from us, what a rich privilege it is. And have we considered, can we even fathom the depth of what God is up to among us here at First Baptist? What God is doing And what God has possible to be done as we live out authentic relationships. I notice something that is universally true in Acts chapter 2. These relationships were lived out in large group worship and in small group interaction. Verse 46 says they met regularly in the temple. That was the large group worship experience. And then they went from house to house, breaking bread and praying and fellowshipping and studying Apostles' teachings, large group, small group, both of those foster relationships. And there is no church 
without authentic relationships. I don't know if you realize it, but even the world of physics has completely changed the way it understands relationships. The old school model of physics was a teaching that said the universe is built with building blocks that are separate. One thing built on another thing built on another thing, or one thing spinning around something else. But the new understanding of quantum physics is that everything in the universe exists in relationship. That everything that is, is interconnected in a complicated, complex web. And physicists are now saying that the energy of the universe is not so much in the particles as it is the energy that exists between and among the particles. The energy is in the connections, the relationship. And I find that amazingly relevant to verse 46, which says they were spending great time together. And if you look up that word for together, one accord in the Greek, it's a compound word. Catch this. Homo thumos. Homo meaning the same. Thumos meaning on fire or glowing or burning. They were on fire together. They were glowing together. They were connected and they gave each other warmth and vitality and depth and power because they were living in authentic relationships. Now I want to pause right here and I want to be careful that I don't overstate my case and the Bible's case for deep authentic relationships. I think some people think that the biblical model for a New Testament church and authentic relationships is we find a group just like we are, just like I am, and we, and we keep it that way. But authentic relationships are not about sameness. The New Testament church was not about homogeneity, uniformity. It was not a cookie-cutter factory where every believer thought and spoke and acted just alike and where everyone had to be from the same background and the same nation and the same group in order to be in the church. It was the opposite. The relationships were authentic because there was such diversity. Do I need to remind uh, us of the original 12 disciples, the followers of Jesus? Do you know that politically, in Jesus' band of original followers, there was a tax collector who made his living gathering revenue for the occupying cruel Roman government. And in that same band of disciples was Simon the Zealot, who before he met Jesus was committed to the violent overthrow of the Roman government, even if it meant killing people. Now I'm just thinking that maybe there were some lively political discussions around the fireside on some nights when, when Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. What do you think? Maybe? And two days from an election, I think that might be instructive for us. That the early followers of Jesus 
did not identify themselves any longer by their political affiliations, not primarily anyway. They identified themselves as followers of Jesus first. And those earthly and those political alliances lined up behind that. And that's a good calling for all of us to remember that we experience our core identity as followers of Christ. In baptism, we are named and marked and identified. That is our highest and deepest identity. Well, you know, this band of 12 and then 11 disciples grew quickly. Acts chapter 2 is about the day of Pentecost. Peter preached and 3,000 got saved. And our scripture takes up there with these 3,000 organized into large groups and then small groups and then more and more were getting saved to the extent that they were living a lot of diversity because Luke says at Pentecost, people from all kinds of nations, all kinds of ethnicities were present. I want to share with you something fascinating. Professor of preaching Tom Long has studied the last chapter of the letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. You know that chapter 16 where Paul identifies all those courageous people who have done so many amazing things for the church. And and by Tom Long's count, there are 26 people named in those closing words of the Roman letter. Now catch this. Of the 26 named, nine are women who are lifted up as serving courageously and meritoriously. Unheard of for Paul's day to lift up women as heroes. But of the 26, 12 were not Roman. They were immigrants. They were outsiders. They were strangers. They were from different ethnicities and different backgrounds. Some slave, some free. Some rich, some poor. Some influential and some unknown. But the authentic relationships were there because they were all followers of Christ. And they were all very different. So, authentic relationships do not live themselves out in homogeneity and sameness, but rather in rich tapestry of diversity. Authentic relationships mean that we have that core connection in Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage First Baptist Church as we work on authentic relationships, don't find yourself, don't get in such a deep, satisfying small group that you like it just the way it is and without realizing it, your walls go up high and you create a clique. A clique in which no one else can enter. Because that's not the New Testament model. I know of a family in North Missouri They sold their farm, moved to town, and when they moved to town, they moved from their country church of about 30 years to a a larger church and county seat town, and they tried and tried to make friends. They tried and tried to make connections, and they just couldn't. And finally, they moved their church membership again to another congregation. And the man said, the dad in that family said, you know what finally settled it for me, that I couldn't stay in this church any longer? He said, I looked around church one day trying to think of six pallbearers that I could ask to carry me out when I died. And I couldn't think of six people who knew me well enough to even know if I died. 
And I want to say, people don't leave church because the parking lot is steep. People leave church when they're starved for relationships, when, they're, when, they, when they can't find meaningful connection and friendships. Last summer, Florida State University uh, football players visited Montfort Middle School in Tallahassee, Florida. And uh, the wide receiver for the team, uh, Travis Rudolph, as the players were looking around the, diet, the lunch area, the cafeteria, noticed one little boy named Bo off sitting by himself. And so Travis went over there and sat by him, had lunch with him, asked him about football, asked him about sports. They started talking about things that kids like to talk about. You know why, you know why Bo was sitting by himself? Because Bo had been diagnosed with autism. And because of his struggles with eye contact and relationships, during the lunch hour, he was always either made fun of or completely shunned and, and ignored. And Bo's mother said, for one day in my little boy's life, I didn't have to worry if he was having lunch by himself. Now I want to say, if that mother could get so happy over an earthly child who could be included and validated and loved at a meal table, how happy do you suppose the Heavenly Father gets when He sees His people living out authentic relationships? When He sees His people practicing radical hospitality and living out crazy grace how that must make the Father laugh with glee when He sees His church being the church, going deep into authentic relationships, and in doing so, attracting others to come follow Christ.